From Bumble Australia and Shameless Media, this is Love Etc. wondered what it's like to work in the sex industry? Have you ever wondered how that work would read when it was eventually turned into a memoir? Welcome to Love Etc. where your hosts Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, you're listening to Love Etc., a podcast by Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move. Today, we're interviewing the powerhouse that is Rita Therese. Here's the thing about Rita. She's widely renowned for being one of the most in-demand sex workers in Australia, yes, but she's also regarded as one of the country's rising artistic talents. Because as Rita's profile under her alias, Gia James, has grown, so too has her profile as a prolific artist and writer. This interview is actually from a couple of months ago now, before the world turned weird and what we consider normal changed drastically. But we still wanted to share it, though, not only as an escape from what's going on, but to have a much-needed conversation around sex work and feminism from a woman who isn't just an expert in the field, but in philosophy too. At 26, Rita has published her first book, a memoir called Come, which details her time in the sex industry, as well as a life of significant personal tragedy and trauma. Here she tells us about what sex work is actually like, even when she has struggled with what she calls debilitating social anxiety in the past. So, Zara, let's get straight into it, shall we? Here's Rita. Rita, the first place we wanted to start with you is how would you describe yourself? I mean, first of all, I'm a sex worker, but I'm also a writer. I have been writing since I've been 18. I've written for Penthouse Australia. I've written for Frankie magazine. I've also written for a magazine called Sneaky. And I self-published a bunch of um, zines that led to me getting a book deal with Alan and Unwin. And how would you describe your personality? Like if someone was to say, how do you describe your personality? What would you say? I think I'm quite introverted. I probably go with my star sign more so. So I'm a Gemini, but I'm also a Scorpio rising. So I feel like the Scorpio side is usually how I would say I am. So I can be a little standoffish when I first meet people, but then I'm super warm once you get to know me, you know. I noticed on your social media, you talk a lot about star signs and being a Gemini. Yeah, it's something I got into years ago. My mum was really into it and then um, just kind of led to other things like tarot and astrology and just, yeah, it's something I just really love. So it's kind of fun, you know. you're deeply spiritual? Yeah, I would say to a degree. Yes, I think I'm quite a spiritual person. Yeah. And what drew you to sex work? You began sex work at 18. You were working retail at the time. Mm -hmm. Your job was about to end because the store was closing down and you went into sex work. What was the chain of events that led you to that point? So I was working in a denim store and I'd already taken some nude photos for God's Girls, which was like at the time quite a popular alternative pinup website. And then my brother and I were chatting on the phone and he suggested to me, why don't you go work at this lingerie restaurant? It's really good money. You just got to walk around your underwear and one of my girlfriends does it. And I was like, okay, that sounds fine. And um, that's how it all started. I started off working at this lingerie restaurant and I don't think it exists anymore, but I remember at the time I just was like, wow, this is so crazy. Like I'm getting paid $30 an hour. Like this is what, like almost 10 years ago. So yeah, that's how it all started. Just lingerie waitressing. And what leads you from lingerie waitressing to sex work? I think it's kind of like 
when you begin in the sex industry, and this is maybe not the same for everyone, but it was for me, I remember being really terrified when I first was walking around in my underwear because it is quite confronting to do that for a job. Like just as a woman, you know, we have so many insecurities about our bodies and to go and be in your like a G-string in front of strangers when you've never done that before, that was that was a lot. But then over time, I think you become more – a lot of people like to use the word desensitise, which I don't really like. I don't think that that's how it is. I think you become more accepting and more open about your body and about sexuality and – you start to kind of see these norms around sex as being just social constructs. They're just ideas and you don't necessarily have to agree with them. So you might start off in your lingerie and then you're like, it's actually not a big deal to be topless. Then it's not a big deal to take your G-string off for $50. And then it's not a big deal to spend the whole time walking around with no clothes on. It just kind of happens gradually, I think. That was what happened to me anyway. So did you find it freeing? That's what I get when you were talking then, that it's almost like a freedom that you felt that you could fully express yourself. Is that right? I don't know if freedom's the right word. Like I went and I have an undergraduate in philosophy, so that's kind of my area of interest. And I, I don't know if it's freedom so much so as a sort of existentialism that stems from realizing that a lot of the things that bind us are not actually there it it sounds kind of strange but there isn't actually someone saying to you it's wrong to have sex for money it's just an idea and a concept we have and once you get away from those ideas you can deconstruct other things in this world that you think are these real do I need to believe in them are these my morals and my values or are they society so that's what I find quite freeing. I mean, that might sound a bit wacky. I'm not being like, you know, pull away from all society and become like an insane hermit in like the, you know, the hills. But I think it is good to let go of ideas that maybe when you look at them and pull them apart, whose ideas are those? Are they yours or someone else's? It's quite powerful as well to accept that someone else might have an opinion or society might have a belief, but you don't need to take that on. No, absolutely not. And like some people take those ideas and skew them in a really negative and quite terrifying way, you can also use them to free yourself of constraints that perhaps aren't what you want to be. I'm quite a free-spirited person, so I just go, this isn't my thing and that's fine. What was it about sex work in the early days? Did you love it? Did you see it as a really good job? Like, how did you feel towards it initially? The thing I liked the most about sex work when I first started was the way in which you got to be so expressive in the way you looked. And I think a lot of people are quite surprised, but I loved the glamour of it. You know, I would go on my shift at the brothel I worked at and all the girls I'd work with, everyone would be so glamorous. They'd be so beautiful. They'd have this long hair and like amazing nails and every night I'd come to work and we'd all be like looking at what each other were wearing and that was really fun I think to be able to be so glamorous and so exaggerated and to get to be almost like cartoon-like was really fun for me and I think a lot of the other girls I worked with really enjoyed that and then it'd be the end of the night and we'd all take our clothes off and we'd just be like normal regular you know trackies and socks and burks it's pretty funny that was probably the thing I enjoyed the most at the start was just feeling so glamorous. You said earlier that you would describe yourself as kind of shy and a little quiet. How Mm -hmm. did those two jobs coincide? If you're meeting new people all the time, did you find yourself feeling shy? Yeah, I would probably recommend if you do have terrible anxiety or social anxiety is to force yourself to do those things. I mean, maybe not sex work, but make friends. I had quite debilitating social anxiety for many years and going and doing sex work has forced me to unlearn it. I have no other choice. I can't be shy. I I don't make money if I'm shy. So (laughs) I've learned now to overcome that. And I think it can be very useful in my day-to-day life. I'm quite introverted, but my work personality is more outgoing. Yes, I would say. 
When we were researching your background, particularly your website, the term full service sex worker came up a lot. What does full service sex work mean? So there's lots of different kinds of sex work. Sex work as an umbrella term was coined to associate labour with sex work. Prior to that, things like prostitution, hooking, whoring, those words are still in circulation. I would recommend people don't use them. They are quite pejorative. But sex work is about labour. So under the umbrella of sex work as a form of labour, you have different kinds of sex work. So full service is when you're having sex with someone, you're having penetrative sex with them or you're giving them a blowjob or that is a different umbrella to say webcamming or stripping where there may not be penetration involved. So I think within the sex work community, we tend to kind of talk about full service work as being that's just what it means. It, it's just, sound, I don't know, it probably sounds better than being like rooting, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I just, that's what I'm rooting. So yeah, that's what full service means. I think a lot of people listening would, I think, want to know correct terminology. And I know that sounds like quite an overly simplistic question, but I think that in public discourse around these kinds of things, a lot of people do fall over. Mm-hmm. Sex work is obviously for you the most desired term. Is that kind of the one? Yeah, I actually wrote an essay about this last semester talking about the connotations and the stigmatization in using words like hooker and prostitute. The reason why people, and this is for me why, but personally like them but it has been written by academics they are very loaded terms and the ideas that stem from those words are usually quite negative the main thing is that they imply a lack of autonomy so when you say prostitute a lot of radical feminists love to use terms like prostituted women and you know trafficked women or it implies that my job and my work I don't have any autonomy or consent in it and that's why sex work is so important basically just avoid words that sound mean you know hooker whore prosy like it's funny when me and my friends call each other that but I think sex worker is just a nice chill word that doesn't rattle people too much you know totally fair enough you said in an interview in 2016 that you had a conservative upbringing your quote was I didn't even kiss a boy till I was 16 suddenly I'm 18 getting fucked on camera and I'm wearing this crazy lingerie and I was putting up a front of this sexy adult but underneath was this vulnerable person who has no idea who they were or what they were I want to talk to you about doubt or about questioning yourself because 18 is such a precarious age for so many people and how did sex work change your life? Because it seems like you love what you do and you're proud of what you do, but I'm guessing there are also great costs with coming what you do, particularly with relationships if you come from conservative families. Yeah, I mean, well, I think sex work did definitely shape my sexuality, but I wouldn't know. I don't know if it's a bad or a good thing. I think that for a lot of people, their exploration comes later in life. And I was lucky enough to do that when I was younger. I'm not here to say that sex workers is like wonderful, amazing industry where like nothing bad ever happens and it's fantastic all the time. But I think it's really important to just allow it to be what it is. And it may sometimes make things good and make them bad. Like, yeah, there is a social cost you pay for being a sex worker. There is things that you may not be able to access, like apartments, relationships, good family bonds. All those things are challenged and tested by sex work. I'm not saying they should be or it's right that they are, but they are. So being 18 and doing all of that, I felt when I joined the sex industry that I had found sort of another group of outcasts and freaks and misfits. And that's what I love about the sex industry. I don't think it negatively impacted me too much, but yeah, there's probably things I would have done differently. I probably wouldn't have had been face out. I think I would have preferred to have blurred my face, but what's done is done. Do you mean that your face was visible in the video that you were talking about in that passage there? Oh yeah, absolutely. I've been a face out from the very get-go and I 
think had I had an older mentor who maybe had pulled me aside. So I think what I would say is there's nothing wrong with being face out. I think it's very powerful to own sex work. But if you have aspirations in a career that you want to go into that involves things like children, being a teacher, medicine, heaps, government jobs, anything where that it's a little bit more conservative and you're doing sex work through your uni and that's where you want to end up, I would probably advise against being face out only because it can sometimes come back to haunt you. Like I know, for example, that with teaching and working with children, it's very hard to get a working with children check or hard to explain. Like sometimes there can be issues with getting employment if they know you're a past sex worker. So stuff like that. When you said before that, yes, some of the experience in the last 10 years has meant that your relationships, like you found new relationships, sometimes those relationships have been made harder. Have you noticed a change over the last 10 years that meant that maybe there's not as much stigma? Or is that too, again, overly simplistic? No, I mean, I think the stigma remains. I think that the shape and the face of sex work is ever shifting. There's an online presence now. But no, I, I don't believe we've eradicated stigma. I tend to go on dates mm-hmm. with people who are fairly offbeat and they don't have an issue with sex work. I don't know what that's like for other people and the kind of people they might be attracted to. But no, I think there is still quite a heavy stigma. But has it eased over time? Yes, I think a little bit. But I mean, I'm so far removed from being in circles that where there would be any stigma, I suppose. You know, I most of my friends are workers and they're not workers. They're pretty out there people. I have seen online that it seems like there's less trolling and nastiness towards sex workers, which has been really nice. It's a good shift. I mean, there's lots to be done though, I'm Mm -hmm. guessing. Can you actually run us, because earlier you said that you're not going to say that every day of sex work is amazing or that every day is terrible, that exists somewhere in the middle, like any industry. And I want to know, what is an average day at work like? What does that entail for you? Because to so many people listening, they probably don't have any idea about Mm -hmm. what the job entails or what it looks like. I think it's very different. I mean, I at the moment work for myself and I have for the last since 2015, so the last five years. And so I mostly run my own life and I see people when they want to see me and the average day I imagine it's just like anyone who works for themselves you know you kind of fuck around at home and you don't really <laughs> it's like no day yeah. is the same no, spend all day in your pajamas no, no day is really the same and there are times where you know there's a lot of um downtime needed from the emotional kind of labor and stuff that you're doing and you know Sometimes you'll have weeks where you'll just look at your work phone and every text, like, I mean, I've had my work phone for six years, so pretty much I've blocked every moron in Melbourne now, but <laughs> like... Quite a feat. <laughs> yeah, I think there's about, my block list is something insane. There's like 6,000 people there. What? Kidding. Yeah, just... And you, what would constitute a block? Oh, anything, like... Just, you know, I remember one night I hadn't was I had really bad insomnia and I was trying to sleep and some fuckwit kept ringing me. It was like five o'clock in the morning and I just picked up my phone and just was like, if you call me one more time, I'm going to hunt you, find you, kill you. <laughs> and like, because when if you ring enough through Do Not Disturb, obviously it wakes you up. So that kind of thing, you'll just get weird messages. There was one guy who, I don't even know if he's still around, but I remember, my God, I think I got a message from him every year until... I got, this is how long I've been working for, until you could block people on your phone. <laughs> he had something where he was like, oh, you know, oh, it was so foul. He was, he would, he obviously had some kind of sick fantasy about his Rottweiler and a woman together. I'll just leave what? that up to the rest of the imagination. Oh, dear. 
And um, yeah, you'd get a very, very descriptive message all about the Rottweiler, what the Rottweiler was going to do to you, what he was going to do to the Rottweiler. And I was like, bro, if you send me this one more time, I'm calling the RSPCA. Like, this dog needs to be taken away. So that's the kind of shit that you get on your phone. Some of them are lovely messages, but some of them very dark, very dank. I was going to say, no wonder your list is 6,000 when your messages are like that. Yeah. What are your main hours? Like, what are your working hours? Evenings? I imagine you do a lot of, like, self-employed admin during the day. Yeah, a lot of admin. I have an OnlyFans account as well too, so I run that. I have, um, you know, you have to kind of do so your socials. You're uh, also an artist and a writer on the side, so you've got lots of things going on. Yeah, and I study as well. So yeah, it's so hard. I wish I could give you a more concrete answer, but I think it really depends. You know, sometimes you'll have a week where you're busy, 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 and other times you won't work for three weeks. And I think that's kind of normal for me now. How about this week? How many people will you be seeing as clients this week? I have to check my diary and let you know, but I have. A, I think I'm just seeing one person this week. Okay. Yeah. And that might be, it might be for three hours, it might be for one hour. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, it really varies. There's some people that will want to spend, you know, more time with you and will do like a date or like go out and do stuff as other people just want to see you for an hour. So it really varies. Coming up on the show, why Rita chooses to be so public about her life in her new memoir. But first, it's time for a Bumble break. Mish, Bumble, the safety of all community members is of the utmost importance. They want to ensure all users are staying safe on the Bumble app, but also when anyone decides to meet their match in real life too. To do that, they've introduced a roster of initiatives to help keep you guys safe while using Bumble Date, Bumble Biz and Bumble BFF. These initiatives include photo verification, a ban on hate speech, a ban on weapons of violence in profile pictures, and a video or voice call option available in the Bumble app to keep personal numbers private during the beginning stages of interaction. Bumble also encourages you to use the block and report feature if you ever do feel unsafe. They have a responsive team of moderators on board to help any violation of community guidelines, whether that's spam or fake profiles, Bumble will handle your report with care. And for when you decide to meet your match in person, which in this climate may not be for a little while, Bumble advises you to meet in a public place first. Make sure you tell a close friend or family member where and when you're going, your date's name, and that you'll contact your friend when you're home safe. And guys, remember, if you ever feel uncomfortable on a date, leave. If you need to, enlist the help of a bartender or waiter or call triple zero if you're in immediate danger. Your safety is Bumble's highest priority. Download Bumble today and make the first move. One app, three modes, one mission. I am curious, what are the great clients like? What makes someone the perfect sex work client that you will happily see again and again? So the first thing is sending a proper booking inquiry. So not, yeah, look, I'm pretty good. I don't really mind if someone's like, hey, are you available now? But saying, hi, my name is, you know, John and I'd like to meet you and I'd like to see you on this date. Like just how you would normally make an appointment with like your hairdresser. Like I'm not calling my hairdresser being like, oh, like I might be in. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm still deciding. She's like, get off the phone. I'm busy. <laughs> um, so that kind of stuff is really great. Just being polite, being showered, trimming your nails, you know, <laughs> clean, not coming in with like just being a bit stank and then it's really awkward. You're like, oh, let's have a sexy shower together. <laughs> That's my ASAP body wash. Do you want to use that? <laughs> Get right in there. I think just being as well too pleasant to be around. But at the end of the day, like you're delivering a fantasy and delivering a service. And I don't expect someone that I'm paying for a service, my masseuse, to do whatever the masseuse feels like doing. I'm going to, you know, 
I want a hard massage on my neck. So let's do that. So I try to ask for politeness and respectfulness, but I'm also understanding that at the end of the day, they're paying me to do what they want. So that's fine. As long as it's within my comfort level, that's cool with me. And what about terrible clients? Have you had terrible men or women Mm -hmm. hire you? And what have those experiences been like? When I was younger, I would get a lot more rattled by them. I didn't have as much of a backbone. I was a bit shy, a bit quiet. And I kind of like was get home and be upset. But now it's just like, it's my business. It's my life. It's my body. If you're going to be rude or disrespectful or unpleasant, fuck off. Like, get out. I think it can be, people often think like, oh, is that, does that mean like you've got some psycho like towering over you and it's, not always the case. Sometimes it's just someone will be rude or unpleasant or say things that are nasty or <laughs> a friend of mine and I had a couple that we saw that were just on this whole other level of wacky, you know, just complete weirdos and God, they were so unpleasant. What I, made them unpleasant? Oh, I remember I walked in the door and they had this really cute little dog and I was like, oh, how gorgeous. And the girl's like, get in the room. And I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> like, didn't it? I was like, can I have a glass of water first? And like, and they were just so bossy and so nasty. And sometimes people who are obviously insecure about paying for sex or have some kind of chip on their fucking shoulder will make some kind of comments. They'll be like little digs like, you know, we do this all the time. I'm like, cool. <laughs> Maybe you guys should go on a fucking holiday and fix your marriage. I don't know. <laughs> so just... Just kind of wacky, wacky, mean comments, sideways remarks, being rude, being unpleasant. Just just imagine like a really awful day, but you can't leave because oh. you're being paid. So, But you do walk away with money at the end of it. You do. <laughs> so you did touch on emotional labour before and I wanted to ask you about that. Is there a burden of emotional labour that you carry? Do you find that a lot of people want to have conversations and talk to you about their lives too that you have to carry? Talk us through that. Yeah, you do. I have had lots of heavy chats with people over the years. I'm pretty empathic and I'm quite happy to listen. I think it's really important though to be able to debrief with a friend afterwards. Like I hasn't personally happened to me, but sometimes some clients will open up about things like childhood sexual trauma. So things like that you know, very traumatic childhoods. They might talk about going through cancer. They might talk about losing a loved one. And, you know, I'm 26. Like I don't have that much life experience. So I can be empathic, but sometimes I do have to say, I'm just not qualified to talk to you about this. When I was younger, perhaps I would have been a bit less firm with those boundaries. But now I don't want to end up crying afterwards because I'm thinking about, you know, someone having this horrible childhood or someone they love dying of cancer like I'm just I'm not a therapist I'm a lot of things but I'm not a psychologist you know how do you find that you tell the people that you're seeing about the work that you do I mean you did say before that you tend to move in circles where you're like uh, people generally understand but is it a conversation you have early yes I will I will I mean I'm I'm out I'm an out worker I I'm doing writers festivals I, I have an Instagram account so people usually find me and they work it out I usually tell people pretty quickly because for me, I like to get it out of the way. That said, I probably wouldn't tell someone until date number three, just because I want them to get to know me as Rita. You know, Rita, who's a philosophy student, who's a writer, who has interests and, you know, is a fully formed, autonomous, three-dimensional human being. And I think coming in hot with the I'm a sex worker as the opening line can often give people a very one-dimensional view of you. It's like, all right, good route. Let's go. And I'm just like, no, I want to go out for dinner. I want to go to the movies. Like, So, yeah, I, I don't tell people until date number three usually. I just like to give myself a bit of breathing room. A bit of warm-up period. Yeah, and also see if I even like them. Do I even want to tell this person, you know? Totally fair enough. What would you say to anyone who thinks that sex work is anti-feminist? It's really interesting. That's been a particular area of interest of mine within my philosophy study. And, 
you know, fem- feminist theory that stems from the dislike of sex workers started off with radical feminism. So you have like Andrea Dawkin, Catherine McKinnon, Sheila Jeffries, who actually lectured at Melbourne Uni. Until she lectured me. She lectured you. Apparently her class, look, I have nothing, I don't love her work, but apparently some of her class was quite interesting and well thought out. She got upset with me for wearing heels and I got basically kicked out of a lecture for wearing yeah, heels. Yeah, sounds like very <laughs> Sheila. It's very like, you know, even in the 60s and the 70s, one of the ways that they fought back against pornography was to actually go to adult cinemas and blow up their toilets but that meant that the dancers which you know had to flee the adult cinema and go onto the street in their underpants and it's like what the fuck kind of feminism is that you you force working class women out of their establishment to stand in the street in their underpants oh it sounds really great like yeah it makes a lot of sense so yeah it is i believe it's inherently anti-feminist to not like sex work because it's actually about bodily autonomy I can understand and recognise the arguments that abolitionists, that's what abolitionists or radical feminists have. I don't agree with them. I respect their opinion. I respect their right to have an opinion. My hackles get up though, however, when I respect their opinion, yet these are the women who are campaigning and pushing for things like criminalising sex work or the fucking Nordic model, which pushes all the clients underground and makes... Things very, very scary and unsafe for workers. Sex work is always going to exist. So how do we do harm minimization? So that's the only time. You're welcome to blow up the loos in the 70s and, you know, not wear high heels or whatever the fuck that's about for you. But I do dislike it when those politics are brought into my life because I actually don't want to be stabbed to death by a client because the Nordic model was introduced, you know? I was just going to say, can you explain what the Nordic model is for listeners who might not know what it is? So the Nordic model is a model, I'm going to do a bit of a, bit of a hatchet job, but I'll give you the rough idea. So Sweden introduced the Nordic model, which doesn't criminalise the sex worker, but it criminalises the client. Think about power dynamics there. Yes, I imagine the sex worker will not be the one having the hardest time with that. Clients have money, they've got power, they've got influence. They're not going to get caught, first of all, and be criminalised. They're going to move underground. And it's the sex worker who's going to have to chase after them. I need a reference from you. I need to see photo ID. Well, I can't give it to you because I'm going to go to the police. I'll, I'll be sent to prison. Like, what What idiot designed that stupid model, you know? Like, what? How does that make any sense? And they're trying to be like, well, we're trying to stop sex trafficking by not arresting the women. I was like, okay, so we just don't arrest women now. That's a really nice step forward. <laughs> like, uh, Here's a crazy fucking idea. Um, how about you just make it legal? So, yeah, the Nordic model, it does get tooted by a lot of femi- feminist theorists as being this great idea, but in actuality, it's not. It just means clients go underground they don't want to give out ID, they don't want to be screened and you don't want to be broke. So you take them anyway and who knows who that guy could be when you haven't been able to screen him. I think what we love so much and admire so much about you is that you are, number one, so educated and so articulate but you're also so open and honest and transparent. You have a memoir coming out very, very soon. I think it's the week that this episode actually drops yes. and we want to know why. What is it about you that makes you want to be so open and generous with your experiences as a sex worker? Well, there's a few reasons. I think I've always been a very honest and forthcoming person. It's part of my personality. I'm a bit of an existentialist, so I kind of am really invested and engaged and constantly dissecting myself and pulling apart things and being like, I'm a good person, but I'm also a bit of a shit. And I want to talk about those things that are very human. You know, most of us are good people, but most of us are also shits. So how do we think about ourselves? And that's kind of where writing came in. 
it is confronting. I remember the first time I sent my zine out and I had the first really personal piece of writing I'd done and I wanted to like climb in the mailbox and pull them all out and like set them on fire and run away. I was just like, what have I done? Um, it is scary to be releasing a book, but it's not just a book about sex work. It's a book for people that have gone through grief or through pain. You know, I wrote most of that book, some of the ideas from it actually came after my brother and sister died. And then I didn't have any books that were about my life. I didn't know any sex worker books where everyone fucking died and then you still have to get up and go to work the next day. So maybe there's a worker out there who'll read that and go, well, you know, thank fuck I'm not alone. The other thing with the book was I think to be a good writer for me, it's important to be honest and to be upfront. And I think people respect that. And okay, yeah, some maybe some loser will be like, eh, what a shit book, like whatever, like I don't care. But I hope that there's someone out there who appreciates the honesty and the, the, the gaze within, you know. How do you get up and go to work when you're grieving such huge losses? You, you know, you, you become somebody else. You put on the makeup and the heels and you go and you just kind of drift in and out. I mean, I don't remember. That's what the book actually touches on. There was a large portion where I developed such bad PTSD, I actually don't remember six months of my life. So I was just kind of aiming wandering in and out of my like, kind of conscious mind and then eventually I just sort of got back in my body again and that was something I didn't find a lot of information about either so I hope that's helpful for people if they've experienced that really intense PTSD like learning about how normal it is after trauma. What do you want people to take away from your book? What is the central message? The central message of the book is that the book is separated into three chapters or three main kind of portions of the book there's one called love and one called sex and one called death and that is what life is about it's about fucking and loving and dying and that is what drives us and motivates us and pushes us forward so that's pretty much what my book is about it's kind of an ode to how what I think I said at the start where I I believe in living quite existentially and and freeing yourself of these bonds and seeing life for what it is and it's like it's about fucking and living and dying you know and loving so yeah, that's what my book's about. Nice, light-hearted read. Um, but it is it is light-hearted at times. It's not all heavy and me wanking myself off about how much of a philosopher I am. It's um, also quite, you know, funny and there's lots of interesting moments and, you know, there's some sexy bits, which is always nice. Um, <laughs> and I think it'll be fun, you know. It's a good I, – I wanted to write a book that you could really enjoy reading on the beach in the summer. But also, like, it, it does get a bit heavy at times. What so you maybe you? with sunglasses on so no one can see all your tears. Yeah. <laughs> so you might – you'll cry, you'll laugh, you might jerk <laughs> off, who knows. Oh, my gosh, maybe <laughs> not at the beach. Oh, I mean, it depends what you're into. What are you most passionate about when it comes to changing the conversation or the public conversation around sex work? Uh, honestly, I've actually taken a really big step back from activism because, like, who needs to hear from me anymore? Like, it's like, you know – yeah, I had a pretty shit time when my brother and sister died and, you know, it wasn't the most rock and roll childhood of, I ever think anyone's ever experienced, but I've had it pretty good for the most part. I've been quite lucky. You know, I'm a bit mentally ill and whatever, but other than that, things are all pretty rosy and I think it's really important to actually pass the mic now at this at this point. I've been yarning about myself for like 10 years and now I'm just like, you know what, who, who else needs to be up here? And so really, really big on that now. So platforming other women exactly talking getting other women involved and other workers and opening dialogue for trans workers I don't see enough about trans women and their experiences working they they have a really hard time some of my friends and the statistics around trans women that's really intense and we need in the community to be bringing forward our trans sisters and talking about their experience and talking about the women of color in our industry and our indigenous sisters who are working as sex workers like those are the people 
So now I try to take a step back. And when I do get asked for things, I usually try to push someone forward. I mean, this is the one time because I do have a book. So I'm like, I'm really <laughs> fucking sorry. Please okay. buy my book and then I'm out of here. You'll never hear from me again. Just popping my head back in. Yeah, just hello again. It's me. Um, but other than that, I do – I have been working really actively to push and pull, push for other people to go forward instead of myself. I love that. If listeners leave this episode – knowing one thing about you or one thing about sex work, what do you want to leave them with? What would you want that one thing to be? I think it's not as hard as you think it is, but it's not as easy either. That's probably the best way I can describe it. It's not as sad and depressing as you think it is, but it is not like just falling over bags of money and living la vida loca, you know? (laughs) And our final question, how do you feel about love? Really good about it. Yeah, I'm an eternal optimist. So I think that's great. I actually wanted to have my book launch as a celebration of love because it's been such a dark, fucked up year for everyone, you know, and even a dark 2020. I think it'd be nice to celebrate something so human and so universal. Rita, thank you so, so much for your time. Love Etc. is a production from Shameless Media. If you loved this chat with Rita Therese, please do buy her new memoir, Come. It's an arresting read and unlike anything you've probably come across before. We will pop a link to Rita's book in the show notes. We cannot recommend it enough. And you can also find her on Instagram at Rita underscore Therese underscore. Sign up to Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move towards friendship, professional and romantic relationships. We will be back in your ears on Friday. Oh, 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 oh,